0: My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Bob Sutton is a professor of management science and engineering at Stanford University. Bob is co-founder of Stanford's Center for Work Technology and Organization, the Stanford Technology Ventures Program, and the d.school. He's a New York Times bestselling author and has published over 200 academic articles, as well as eight books, which have sold more than a million copies. Bob has served as a fellow at IDEO, faculty at the World Economic Forum, advisor to McKinsey, Bain, and Microsoft, and he is currently a senior scientist at Gallup. He has given keynote speeches to more than 200 groups in more than 20 countries and has been a guest on numerous radio and television shows, including ABC, Bloomberg, BBC, CNBC, Fox, NBC Today Show, PBS, NPR, Marketplace, and CNN. I hope you enjoy learning from Bob Sutton today, because I always do. Bob, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Ten years ago, I took a PhD seminar on Teams, taught by Pam Hines in the MSNE department at Stanford, and that's when I first learned of you and your work, so it's great to catch up with you today.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Pam, she's my boss now. She's don't tell her, but she's the best boss I've ever had in academia. She is. She's almost perfect. It's amazing. So she not only can teach it, she can do it. Great to um, hear. I definitely will not tell her that. <laughs> I actually tell her that. Uh, so, uh, so I guess we're going to talk about some lessons, huh?
0: Yeah. I want to hear, you know, as you think back on, on your career, uh, are there one, two, three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you would most like to pass on to others?
1: Okay, so so I, I love this question, and I'm such an old academic. Actually, uh, July 1st, uh, and and we uh, June 15th is my 40th anniversary at Stanford. So I'm an old academic. I can't believe I've lasted this long. So I've been I've been thinking about this stuff, and uh, and as we discussed, I do have a list of now 17 things I believe. But but when I when I think about it, there, there's there's three things, and there's kind of stories associated with each one of them um, that really strike me um as as things I guess I would like to pass on. For, the first one is actually was that was uh, the name of a book that I never finished. And I think I even got an advance for it, called The Attitude of Wisdom. I think I had to give back the advance. I've written eight books, but this is one that I didn't finish. And <laughs> And so what it was inspired, so so it's it's the notion, and this is not original, I think it goes back to Aristotle or Plato or something. When I see the best leaders, the best innovators, they, they have this kind of, they're very curious, and part of the curiosity they have is, uh, so, so I think of David Kelly of IDEO. Um, I, I think of actually uh, even though he was our university president um john hennessy uh who, an amazing person and 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 they, and they have this this quality uh that it, it's you know sometimes called the attitude of wisdom that's the name of the book that we gave back the advance for and and, and essentially they have they have really strong opinions but they're always looking for signs that they're wrong and and, and so David Kelly, the founder of IDEO, the find, founder of the Stanford Design School—I guess I'm a co-founder—but it was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. We were just following along with him, and, um, and 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 David is the kind of person who will kind of give you a strong argument, and and then he just listens, and he listens, and then he asks questions, and then he listens, and and he's one of the only people I've ever met. That, that when he walks into a room with one opinion, he very often walks out with a different opinion. And so that's, so I just, this this sort of attitude of wisdom, this this ability to sort of say, oh, and my favorite story, this is a great story. Uh, it, this has to do with the attitude of wisdom in product prototyping. So you and I, we're, we're like, uh, academics and we've read and seen in, in the business world, we've seen all sorts of reorganizations and you've also got a beard so that you can maybe relate to this. So, uh, so David, who has sort of a groucho like mustache. So, so there was one point, this was out of 20 something years ago and and he had a reorganization at IDEO. And what happened to IDEO is IDEO grew in Palo Alto in those days from about 40 people to about 150 people. So it was too big. You couldn't just have one group of sort of people swarming around And so he did a reorganization, and most reorganizations, you will go here, you will go here, you are fired. That's how they work, right? Uh Uh-uh, this isn't how David did it. He had three people stand up and make a pitch about why you should join my studio to the whole company, and everybody got their first choice, which is, like, ridiculous. How do you do it? How do you make that work? And then uh, there was still a lot of anxiety because there always is when there's a reorganization. And and the amazing thing he did, he walked in and nobody had ever seen him. He shaved off his mustache. And and David, who's really funny, said, my wife got out of the shower naked and screamed and put on her clothes because she didn't recognize me. That's that's how and we were just in shock. And and so David stands up and he says, so the reorganization, it's, it's just like our products. It's just like my mustache. We can grow it back. If it doesn't work, we can change it. This is a this is this is a two way door that to me it was one of the most amazing things I ever saw, just in terms of living this attitude of, was it kind of a strong opinion? I think this is the right thing, but it's a two-way door. We can reverse it if we get other information. So that's, that. when I think of great leaders, just having in this, this curiosity and openness and not clinging to things, regardless of whether they're right or wrong. And it's just such a learning attitude. So I I I guess that's, and that's, and that's why uh, we wanted to write a book about uh, the idea of that period, which is a much different company now. But I do some, you know how it is, sometimes you start something, you can't finish it. So that's, That's that's one. Maybe we can do two more.
0: Well, I'm grateful we just got the Cliff Notes version of your book. So even though it was never finished, thank you for sharing that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as they say, most books should be articles and most articles should never be written. Well, well, it's a paragraph (laughs) in an Administrative
1: Science Quarterly article about the attitude of wisdom, which I stole from Carl Weick. And I think he stole from somebody else. And we all stole it from Aristotle or Plato. So, you know, Adam Grant's book, Think Again, has a similar sort of theme. So that's one. The second one is something that I would describe as uh, as sort of a failure of mine in the institution in the world that we live in right now, um, and it's something that I think is is sort of more serious and related to what the right learning attitude is. And 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 so one of my intellectual heroes, who Carl Weick at University of Michigan now, his, he seems to be sort of retired or semi-retired. But during the period when I was a most active researcher, he was admit, he was the editor of the administrative science quarterly, the most prestigious journal and, and just this really original thinker at one time. I, I think I might was just talking to him and, and, he, and, and we, we both know, since, you know, the research on teams and we both know the research on teams, there's all sorts of evidence that that the best teams, they um, they engage in constructive conflict. They know when to fight. You know when not to fight, and in my book, Good Boss, Bad Boss, I have a whole long list of how to have a good fight and everything. But, but, but there's there's sort of like a problem, and it's especially a Stanford problem. It isn't so bad at Berkeley. I went to Berkeley as an undergrad, that we're really lousy at having constructive conflict as an institution. We're a very passive aggressive institution, and and the and, and and you can see this in some of the cultures, the Google culture. You can see that, which is sort of a Stanfordish culture, the old HP culture sort of a culture is that people are really nice and really friendly. And then, but when they get in a situation of disagreement, they don't know how to have a constructive argument in a way that isn't personal. And, and since we know the research on, on teams that the best teams, the worst teams fight, uh, what, what they call that personal conflict, emotional conflict, they fight, they kind of hate each other just as an institution and I've tried to come up with ways of teaching this but 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 the best teams I've ever been part of the best relationships I've been part of are ones where where we can argue like crazy in the most loving possible way and um and and, and it's so hard to teach and it's so hard hard to create and, and so what to go back to Carl Weick, he, he had this argument that he had this saying that that and the best teams people argue as if they're right and listen as if they're wrong. So this is kind of back to wisdom. And, and I, 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 early in my career, I, I uh, wrote a bunch of papers with Anat Alley on the expression of emotion in organizational life. And the reason I think that Anat and I were so productive and just loved working each other, is we would, honestly, we would just yell at each other all day. And we were like children, we, we'd fight over the keyboard. Literally, we'd grab the keyboard and mouse from one another, and it was always loving and always fun. And I haven't had that in very many of my my relationships. I, I have I've written and I, and I love Jeff Pfeffer. I wrote two books with him. But with Jeff, it it actually didn't really feel it, it felt more personal. To be honest, Jeff's pretty nasty, and and maybe that comes out with me when I start doing it. It's just a little bit too personal with him, and and and, the, and that's that's the kind of thing that are the best teams. And this is something that that there are some organizations that um we see this. in just to give you an example of of this, uh, once so this is. 2010 or so, I was giving a talk at Pixar, and and I, I, our book Good Boss, Bad Boss had just on my book. It's a sole author book. Had just come out, and I was doing a talk. And I in those days I was friendly with Pixar. I, I knew Ed Catmill. I still know Ed, but he's left. He was president. So I'm doing a talk at, at Pixar about Good Boss, Bad Boss. I talk about constructive conflict. This guy, um, th- this guy named John Walker, walks up to me afterwards. John Walker was the producer. Um, on a bunch of the Incredibles movies, he worked with Brad Bird. So so Brad Bird is the famous Academy Award winning director of the Incredibles and and Ratatouille and so forth. And John Walker's job as the producer was basically time, money and budget. And and then he had to deal with this crazy creative guy named Brad Bird. And, And the way he described it to me is that the way that Brad and I work together is we work in loving conflict every day. And that was one of the most. And, and by the way, for your what your your, your audience, uh, if you go to the extra material on the Incredibles, there is an argument. Um, there's an argument on the video um, where uh, the team is arguing like crazy, and John Walker and i murder in the room about how bald to make Bob in the movie. So we're <laughs> bald guys. So I can and I show it to my class, and it's like it, it, it's really sort of mad. And there's also a budget versus uh, you know creativity uh, type argument too. And, and and that that to me is it's almost like the highest form of human existence, in, in, in creativity. And I've only experienced it myself only with a knot and with a, with a few other people but but this this ability to sort of fight in a loving sort of way if you can reach it that's it's so much better than the sort of passive aggression and then you stab him in the back type thing <laughs> or, or you suffer cuz you don't have the courage to complain about it that, that that to me is 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 what excellence is about
0: well what a great phrase that captures that argue as if you're right listen as if you're wrong
1: wike was you know he was just magical um and that then the last thing oh god i've got it right here good i've even got it so um The last thing, and since um, for better or worse, you know, when when I die somewhere, if if somebody writes obituaries about me, uh, somewhere in the third sentence, maybe the second sentence will be that uh, I'm the best-selling author of The No Asshole Rule. I've just finished my eighth book on friction with my pal, Huggy Rao. And uh, The No Asshole Rule has sold all the, more than everything together, and it always will. It's just the way it is. But I I wrote the, the, what, the wrong book or the right book at the time? The lesson here, I'll do the headline since headlining helps. The the, the, the lesson here is that it, it may be because I've had the, both the privilege and sometimes uh, the, the problem of living in Silicon Valley for the last 40 years and meeting way too many rich, um, overly ambitious people, uh, possibly including myself in terms of being overly ambitious. And uh, there's a disease that I see among people who are successful. And I realize this is probably 1% of the world's population. Um, and who, no matter how much fame they have, no matter how much money they have, they they always feel like they never have enough. They always feel like they want more. They want more toys. They want more prestige. They uh, they want more lovers. Whatever it is, like it isn't enough. And and so I was writing the no asshole rule, and and I and, and I ran into a poem in the New Yorker, um, and, and um, it I think it was called Joe Heller. And um, it was by Kurt Vonnegut, the famous Kurt Vonnegut, and um, and, and essentially the poem I won't read it um, to your your audience, but but essentially what the poem said was that uh, Joe Heller, the famous author of Catch Twenty Two, and Kurt Vonnegut were at a party at a really rich person's house. They were having this conversation about how rich the guy was, and um, and Joe Heller said something to Kurt. Vonnegut along the lines of, uh, of of essentially, um, this guy might be really rich, but uh, you have maybe said it about himself, I have something that he, he never had, which is the knowledge that I have enough. Hmm. And, and, and and it's a poem. And in in, in this notion, because I written a book about assholes. That, that for a lot of people, the knowledge that you have enough, that you have enough money, that you have enough people in your life that love you, that you have enough stuff, that that I think that sometimes w- when when I start being a jerk and I start engaging in social comparison, because I work at Stanford, there's all these incredibly famous people. When I engage in um, social comparisons, when I feel like I don't have enough is when I, my worst self comes out. And so so the knowledge that I have enough is part of it. And just the punchline of the story, and I actually have a, of it. So I wrote just some random address at the New Yorker to ask permission because my publisher said, you can't publish this poem without permission from Kurt Vonnegut. And he wrote me back a personal postcard. So this is actually a picture oh, wow. of the personal postcard from him. And and it says Dear Professor Sutton, um fine Find here my permission for you to use my poem "Joe Heller," however you use without compensation or further notice to me. Good luck, sound by per- Kurt Vonnegut. One of my this is just a zero, wow. so my favorite possessions. So, so he had enough too. He he could have <laughs> asked me for money. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, so so in some, and there are a lot of people in the world who don't have enough. I really want to emphasize that. Right. But, but but for me and maybe it's you know it's as I said, both the privilege and, and the problems with the with uh, teaching some of the most privileged, smartest people in the world for 40 years and, and having colleagues who are just ridiculously accomplished and and knowing some billionaires too who really believe that they don't have enough. Um, that, uh, th- that that to me, that's that's one of those things. And it, just to go back into you know, one of our famous Stanford dropouts, Elizabeth Holmes, Mm -hmm. I I wonder, I wonder, she was obviously a smart and very talented person and still is now she's in prison. I I wondered if, if she had slowed down and realized that she had enough instead of striving for more and more and faster and faster, if things might've turned out better for her. And so anyway, so that's, so, so that's a life lesson. I try to remember.
0: One of my favorite phrases from stoicism is, uh, want the things that you have. And it's related to this idea. Like once you have enough, then just want those things. There's no reason to keep That's wanting more once we have enough. Well, Bob, this was awesome. Well,
1: I just, I, I just am just, you just got me ranting, but uh, I know you could
0: go forever. But I, this is, this is great. You know, it it forced you to kind of narrow down all of all the things you've learned in 40 years. These are three lessons that you most wanted to pass on.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's just a little comment about this conversation. That sometimes I, I don't I don't know how it, it actually will come up, but but some, I, I I'm somebody who's prone to overprepare rather than underprepare. And the fact I was too busy to prepare <laughs> made it better. <laughs> because it's like you're saying <laughs>
0: well, I I just appreciate your time. And these are just tremendous lessons. The attitude of wisdom, argue lovingly, and recognizing when we have enough the knowledge to know that we have enough. So I just want to thank you for your time. And again, just to think of all of the wonderful experiences. And things that you've learned throughout your career that these are three things that you most want to pass along just makes me value them that much more. So thank you for your time today, Bob.
1: Oh, thanks, Nate. It's great to talk to you. And thanks for doing this. We all appreciate you just conglomerating these lessons. I really (laughs) appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickels and Dimes. I love the lessons Bob shared today. First, embrace the attitude of wisdom. Two of the best leaders Bob has ever known, John Hennessy, the former president of Stanford, and David Kelly, the founder of IDEO have strong opinions, but look for signs that they're wrong. They make strong arguments, but then listen, ask questions, and listen some more, often changing their opinions. When David Kelly reorganized IDEO, he symbolically demonstrated the attitude of wisdom by shaving his mustache. He didn't pretend like he had all the answers, and recognized that they could iterate if they needed to. A great example of the attitude of wisdom, acting with knowledge, all the while doubting what he knew. Confident, but not really sure. Second, the best teams engage in constructive conflict. At Pixar, Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles, and John Walker, the producer of The Incredibles, argued endlessly about everything, but in their words, they worked in loving conflict every day. It was never personal, compared to at Stanford, where too few people know how to argue constructively and instead resort to passive-aggressive tactics. The worst teams engage in personal and emotional conflict, but the best teams engage in constructive conflict. They argue as if they're right, but then listen as if they're wrong. Third, there's a disease Bob sees in successful people, No matter how much fame, money, status, power, or even lovers they have, it's never enough. When Kurt Vonnegut said to Joseph Heller, Joe, how does it make you feel to know that our host only yesterday may have made more money than your novel Catch-22 has earned in its entire history? Joseph Heller responded, I've got something he can never have. The knowledge that I've got enough. Bob has spent 40 years learning and achieving, which makes the three lessons he shared all the more meaningful to me. Embrace the attitude of wisdom. Engage in constructive conflict. And know when you've got enough. All simple ideas, please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with three requests and one suggestion. First, if you would like a summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Third, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And now a suggestion. If you're like me and want to remember all of the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the List of Lessons page on my website, namemickle.com, to see all of the lessons that each previous guest has shared. Thanks for your support.